So I'm well aware that my sermon title today is rather bold. All you need to know about speaking in tongues. It's mostly for effect, honestly, except for this point. Outside of the book of Acts, which describes what happened, the only place in the New Testament that speaks extensively about speaking in tongues is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what we just read. So I see the book of Acts as just describing the history of the church, but I see the letters of Paul and the others telling us what to do about what happened in the book of Acts. And so 1 Corinthians 14 is really all you need to know about speaking in tongues. So before I continue, I want to conduct a brief poll. Listen carefully to the polarities in my poll here. So it's going to be a one to five. On the five end is going to be, I've thought a lot about this subject. I know a lot about it. I have a well-informed opinion about speaking in tongues. On the one side is like, what in the world is that? Or I don't, really haven't thought about it. It hasn't been much of my experience at all. All right? So let's start with the fives. I know a lot about this. I've thought a lot about it. Raise your hand. Four. Three. Right smack in the middle. Two. And one. All right, so first of all, I want to speak to those of you who are fours and fives. And uh, no, actually, I want to speak first to the ones and twos and just say whatever your well informed opinion is. That was the fours and fives, wasn't it? Okay, sorry. I, I feel like I'm speaking in tongues or something. Like, I don't really know what I'm saying. Okay, so to the, to the fours and fives, I just want to say whatever your well informed opinion is. I just ask for your humility and grace and just listen and hear. To those of you who are ones and twos, I'm going to give you a short definition. So speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in a language you've never studied. Now, in the book of Acts, we find places where that might have been, you know, French or Chinese, right? Just a language, you, a real human language you haven't studied. But it seems like there's something else going on. And most of the time when we speak in tongues, we're talking about a language that nobody has studied. So it's kind of a heavenly language, a, a personal spiritual language. So, so typically people will talk about speaking to God in prayer, or sometimes it's used in a public assembly as well. But the idea is whatever you're saying, like of course you can't uh, understand what it is. It's a heavenly language. So my assumption is that most of you, regardless of where you were on that poll, most of the people in this church on a Sunday morning do not speak in tongues. So for you, I thought, I wonder if I can find a YouTube that would give us a little sample of what it means to speak in tongues. So this is about 60 seconds. Most of you are old enough to know who Pat Boone is. So this is Pat Boone and his pastor. And uh, somebody told me after early service that he wants to tell me his story because he knew this pastor and that guy actually led him to the Lord. So I didn't make that connection on purpose. But here's a little 60-second uh, introduction so you can hear people actually speaking in tongues. No, Pat, God has done so much for us over the years. Let's just praise him worship him right now. Yeah, right? gladly. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me, Harold Alvarez. 
Praise you, Lord, Thou art worthy, O Lord God. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord God. <laughs> Praise God. Now, now, you say you would like to get a, a walking shot? Uh, they could have cut the video, but they lost three seconds, right? So I don't know what that was all about. So with that in mind, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 14 and to my sermon title, All You Need to Know About Speaking in Tongues as we look at the text itself. So let me switch to that slide for us here. And I've got uh, seven brief points that will tell you all you need to know. So let's begin now. I'm going to see if this will work for us. And if it doesn't, then I'm just going to cue you guys. Go ahead and go to my first slide then. So number one... Are we there? That's the one there. Good to go? No? All right. Well, he'll catch up with us in a moment, or somebody text Reagan and tell him we need him. So, all right. So, uh, number one, it's not new, okay? So, it's not new. Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And when he says that to the Corinthians, what, he, what, what we already know is that these people are speaking in tongues. It's part of their spiritual experience. So many of Paul's readers were speaking in tongues, and some of them even spoke in tongues before they became believers. Because in the Greco-Roman world, uh, this was common, that people thought that uh, angels had their own heavenly language, the gods had their own heavenly language, and so it was already well known to them whether or not it's well known to you. So uh, some of the believers at Corinth believed that, that the gift of tongues was actually the most important, the most significant of the spiritual gifts. In the modern era, again, it's not new. The growth of speaking in tongues in America is generally uh, traced to a man by the name of Charles Parham and to the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in 1906. Parham believed in the supernatural gifts, the sign gifts, and he began what, what became known as the Pentecostal movement. What followed that was there were a lot of people in other denominations who were not in Pentecostal churches, but still believed in speaking in tongues and the other sign gifts. And so they're known as charismatic. So if you didn't know, that's the difference between the two. A Pentecostal is someone who is in a denomination where that's the official doctrine, charismatic, you have charismatic Catholics and charismatic Baptists and all sorts of other folks who their denomination is not their official position, but they also believe in speaking in tongues. So number one, it's not new. Number two, it's more common that you, than you think. So Paul says, who says? Paul, the apostle, this is our guy, wrote half the New Testament, established the church, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So if you think speaking in tongues is a sign of mental illness or it's kind of cultish, remember that you're talking about our main man, the Apostle Paul, right? Other than Jesus, maybe it surprises you that the Apostle Paul actually speaks in tongues. And this happens to be the only place where he has direct and extensive references to speaking in tongues in his letters. So let me give you another statistic or two. In round numbers, 
one out of every 10 human beings now alive is either Pentecostal or charismatic. All right? So among Christians, there are twice as many Pentecostal or charismatic Christians as there are evangelicals who don't believe in speaking in tongues. So I'm in the latter category, and not that I don't believe, but that I don't speak in tongues, but that makes me actually a minority. Two out of three people identify with some of the same beliefs that we have here at Corinth. Two out of three speak in tongues in their, uh, in their private life or in their communities. So did you know that there are three countries of the world, Brazil, Guatemala, and Kenya, where more than half of the entire population of the country, not just Christians, are charismatic or Pentecostal. So this is more common than you think. Number three point, it's in the Bible. All right? So Paul says anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people but to God. What's his point there? That it's not just about human languages. He's not talking about Chinese or French here. He's talking about people that, can on, that only speak to God and that assume that is what you can do and maybe even should do. So the idea of tongues, it's in the Bible, speaking in heavenly languages. So there are two views on this in general. There are multiple variations, as there always are. One view is called cessationism which means that the gift of tongues ceased with the apostles. So many Christians would say, it's true, Paul spoke in tongues, but 1 Corinthians 13 says, whether there are tongues, they will cease. And so cessationism says it was only for the apostolic era to establish a church. A variation on that view believes that when the gospel goes to a new area, that sometimes God will give some of these signs like healing and miracles and so forth. But uh, that, that basically it is, it is for when God is doing a new thing, and that's why it's in the book of Acts, right? So the other view is called continuationism, and that means that we believe that the Holy Spirit still gifts people today to speak in tongues. Now, again, the variation is there are some who say, then therefore everybody who's truly born again and has the Holy Spirit should be able to speak in tongues. It's a gift for everyone, and those who believe, well, it's a gift for some. So thanks, Pastor Amy, for getting that up and running for us. So that's number three. Now we're going to go to number four. It's very real and very important to some. I listened to a sermon on speaking in tongues by a charismatic preacher this week because I wanted to be fair in my explanation of this gift. And he talked about this verse in verse four. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Now, what happens is those of us who don't speak in tongues tend to go to the but at the end of that sentence, which is, but you should always like have an interpreter and so forth. This guy says, don't miss the first part of the sentence itself. Speaking in tongues is about a depth of spiritual experience. Does anybody not want to be strengthened spiritually? So the argument is, like, if you want a special bond with Jesus, then speaking in tongues would be a way to have this, like, one-on-one -on -one personal connection with Jesus. Who wouldn't want that? So I hope it's a fair analogy, but, uh, uh, because I very much want to be fair on this subject, but runners speak of a runner's high, which makes no sense to me at all. 
All right? I, I, my, Dr. Hurley actually is the one who told me several years ago, Bob, your knees are bad. You can't run anymore. But even before anybody said that, and I did the little bit of running in my life, I never got the high. Right? Like, what's wrong with you people that you actually like this kind of thing? But those who are, you know, genuine runners, they talk about that. My um, son-in-law-to-be just did a 20K race yesterday. I'm going like, he's crazy, but he can still marry my daughter. So uh, for me, it was always sheer drudgery. But for some, this is their spiritual high, to be able to connect with God through the Holy Spirit in this way. And I can understand that even if it's not my experience, people who just sense that the Holy Spirit has taken over my mind and has enabled me to speak in this way and to have that intimacy and communion with God, it's a beautiful thing. And that's one reason I wanted you to see that little clip with Pat Boone and his pastor, because you can see the joy on their faces as they experience this. Next point, it is creepy and disturbing to others. So Paul says in this text, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or believers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? The word inquirer there can mean skeptic. So it's the idea if people come in and they don't speak in tongues, aren't they going to say that you're crazy? So what Paul is saying here is you have to consider the point of view of those who don't speak in tongues. And there are a lot of people who even when they enter into a service where it's, it's done beautifully and well or just encounter a video like the one we saw, they really don't get it. So uh, th- this is where sensation co- cessationism comes in. It's not only uh, sort of a personal feeling, it's, it's actually a biblical argument. And many expositors will make this point for various reasons that the Bible itself says this went out of existence. Now, if you do speak in tongues, you need to know but you probably already know it. I just want to be fair that there are a lot of Christians who are deeply suspicious of your integrity and even sanity if you say you speak in tongues. So it can go both ways, which leads me to my next point. It is perilous to be either pro or con, and I had a little bit of anxiety deciding what I would say on this subject. But I was intrigued that the Apostle Paul himself gets to a point in the text where he says, so what shall I do? Now, this is the part of the passage, and I realize I'm not going verse by verse, where Paul is talking about the dichotomy between the spirit and the mind. And he talks about praying with your mind or with your spirit or singing with your mind or singing with your spirit. And Paul says, now, what should I do about that? Now, I may, I've probably am reading too much into the text when I kind of imagine maybe Paul put his pen down there for a moment or for five minutes or maybe for a day or two. He's going like, okay, what am I going to say about this that might be constructive and helpful? Because when he contrasts spirit and mind, we would say he's contrasting your subjective and objective experiences, or maybe a little simpler than that, your intellectual and your emotional side of it. So he's saying, you know, some people really connect well with God with their mind, and others connect well with their feelings. And I don't know that 
that this would be totally fair, but I'm going to guess that for many people in traditional service, we would lean more toward the mind part. And even though we don't speak in tongues in our contemporary service, the, the expression of emotion would be more important to those who worship in the contemporary service. So Paul is dealing with this wrestling, and he's saying, okay, we've got the, the, the intellectual side, and we've got the emotional side, and if you ignore either one, you're, uh, you are at your peril. So it's not just that I'm scared of like what I'm going to say. It's that if you are someone who connects to God mostly with your spirit, and I focus only on mind, then you're going to say, well, I, I want to feel it. I want to know it. This is where the, the reality of my experience is. But on the other hand, if you're the person who wants me to affirm that God only talks to your mind and he doesn't deal with the emotions, you might be missing the spontaneity and wonder of the Holy Spirit of God who is never going to be controlled, is unpredictable, and don't you want God to sometimes speak to you in ways that you know, or just free and where he directs you in your heart. So Paul is saying, and we talk about the word and the spirit. And by word, we mean objective. You can read the Bible, study it, hopefully in community with others, and get a lot about what God thinks. But Jesus himself said the spirit goes where it wills, like the wind goes where it wills. You can't predict the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to tap into that part as well? And so this is what Paul is doing. Like, and I wouldn't want to leave you with the impression, regardless of whatever else I say, that all you've got to do is think and you can connect well with God, or all you've got to do is feel and you can connect with God. One may be stronger than the other, but you need both in order to know him and walk with him, both the word and the spirit. Which leads me to my last uh, point on the screen. What matters most is love. Paul begins this text by saying, follow the way of love. The verb is to pursue. It's a hunter hunting his target, all right, which could be an animal, but in Paul's day might have been a person. Like you're going after something and you're going to pursue it. Furthermore, it is in the continuous action in the Greek, which means it's keep pursuing, like never give up following the way of love. Keep tracking love in your life. Now, here was the insert, the insight that I needed this, this week that was a duh moment for me. 1 Corinthians 14 is about speaking in tongues and prophecy. And maybe that's not part of your regular devotional reading, but everybody knows 1 Corinthians 13, don't you? Like it's it's. It's part of the culture, not just part of the church. And 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to give you the blank and you're going to fill it in, is the blank chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? So everybody knows, and you've even heard all your life, the first verse, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love then I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And when he uses the word if there, he's basically saying from the beginning, whether or not you speak in tongues of men and of angels, if you don't love, it's worthless. So what does Paul go on to do in 1 Corinthians 13? He goes on to say, love bears all things. It believes all things. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never gives up. 
So he gives us all this about love in between two chapters about spiritual gifts. And now in chapter 14, he's telling us what it looks like to apply love to this area where Christians then and now could easily divide and disagree. The devil has a thousand ways to destroy the church. And this is one of them. To say, wherever we come out, I'm better than those who think about this and practice it differently. So what Paul does here is then he tells us, look, if you don't speak in tongues, stop thinking like children, like babies. Children want other people to agree with them, to play what they're playing, to do what they're doing. Like they're, the, the, the younger the child, the more they are about themselves instead of about others. And Paul says, if you don't speak in tongues, stop thinking like children, grow up a little bit, I speak in tongues, Paul says. You think of me as your apostle? I speak in tongues more than you all. So be careful about what you say about those who speak in tongues. And then he flips the, 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 the issue and he says, okay, but if you do speak in tongues, stop thinking like children. It's not about you. Don't show up in a public assembly where there's no one to interpret and start babbling away in tongues where nobody can understand and you haven't made anybody's life any deeper or stronger just because you want to show off your gift. So stop thinking like children. God gives gifts to strengthen, to edify, to encourage the church. And when you speak in tongues and nobody knows what you're talking about, you haven't done any of those things. So in other words, the exercise of your gift, whether it's tongues or prophecy or service or teaching or mercy, or whatever it is, the exercise of your gifts always must be undergirded by what does it mean to love. When I was a teenager, I was confused by many things spiritual, and I've shared this part of my story before, but there were people who just said, you know, you just need to go to the altar and pray the right prayer, and then get, and really mean it, really, really mean it, and then after you're really, really mean it, then get baptized, and then your life will change, and then you'll have assurance. But if you don't know that you know that you know, then you probably haven't done the right things, and so try those steps again. And I've often shared that I didn't find assurance in my faith until I realized it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. It's holding on to what Jesus did for me. But it was in that era of my life that I, I still remember where I was. I was in my parents' room. Nobody was home, talking on the telephone. And the younger people have to know, like, why were you in your parents' room? Uh, some of you remember when all the phones were connected to a wire, right? And there were only two in our house. I had to be either in the kitchen or mom and dad's room. So I'm in my parents' room. Nobody's home. And I'm talking to this friend of mine, and she says, you know, Bob, I get your struggle. I think it was Bobby at the time. So, Bobby, you know, I get your struggle, but you really need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to seek this gift. And honestly, I don't remember how desperately I tried for it, but I was ready for anything at that moment. And I'm going like, uh, God, if you can do something in my life and give me peace by giving me the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, then by all means, give it to me. And it's probably the only time in my life that I kind of sought the gift of tongues. And it never came to me. Never did then. Never has since. So I don't speak in tongues. It's not my practice. But here's what I learned out of that experience. Not only does the devil love to divide the church around issues like this, he loves to confuse Christians by making you think there's some element that, that you don't have and that if you'd just be like another Christian, then you would have more peace and strength in your life. 
And I realize that God creates all of us with human bodies that are very different. I'm looking across the congregation. I'm going like, you guys are really different. Some of you have hair, and some of you haven't in quite some time. And some of you are tall and short, and you have, you know, you're male and female, like different colors of eyes. Some of you wear glasses, and some don't. So if God makes individuals different, why wouldn't he make churches different? Why wouldn't he give each church sort of a capacity to love and be gracious to certain persons? There are people we can reach because we don't speak in tongues in our worship services. But there are people over at my friend uh, Mark's church at Grace Church, which used to be First Assembly of God, who only come there and are attracted to Jesus because there's such a vitality and energy and because they practice all of the gifts. Why is that a bad thing? Like, that's really so cool. So I was at a pastor's lunch on Tuesday, and Mark and his son were leading it, and they never talked about speaking in tongues, but they did talk about evangelism. Let me tell you, those people are passionate about introducing people to Jesus Christ, and I want to be on their team because I'm passionate about that as well. So this is the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to not only give different ones of us uh, different personal spiritual gifts, but to give churches different spiritual gifts. And I'm here to tell you that my heart is to celebrate the diversity of the body of Christ and to love, regardless of what I think about this or any other gift or issue, to love. And when it comes right down to it, to live out of love because we've been loved is all you really need to know about speaking in tongues. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the blessing of being known and loved by you. And Lord, every one of us at times is perceived by others to be crazy. And let's be honest, every one of us is crazy in certain parts, in certain times, in situations of our lives. We don't get it right. And then whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a church, we say, boy, they're not getting it right. I need to go somewhere and enter into a relationship that people are more like me. Lord, forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for our separation, especially when that separation is in the body of Christ. Help us to love as we have been loved and to embrace our brothers and sisters and to live by grace into this truth that the Apostle Paul not only teaches but models We ask this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, there are truths that bind together the body of Christ, not only today and here, but all around the world and all across the years. And they are summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Would you stand with me and affirm those truths?